Hello and welcome to episode 95 of The Winning Agenda. My name's Jesse Marshall and with me tonight on the panel are 2015 and 2016 regionals top eight competitor, Hollis Echo. Hey guys, what's going on? And uh, your favorite Bioroid and the man who has just returned from a convention of gatherers, Wilfred E. Harig. Uh, don't I get to choose my intro? I want a different intro next time, but that's okay. We'll deal with this for now. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Wilfred. Hi, it's good to be here. I'm sure. Um, now, Hollis Echo, uh, I know I mentioned Wilfred's just been at a convention of gatherers, but you've just been at a convention of LCG players, role players, and pretty much everything else under the sun. How was Gen Con? It was actually a ton of fun. I, I went I went there uh, with a couple of my local friends, and I got to meet the big bad wolf Brian Holland in person. For the first time ever. For the very first time ever, and it was really, really exciting. We had to do some walking because there was some confusion about the hotel. But I, I saw them, saw him and, uh, and uh, our friend Josh, and I gave Brian a, a huge, huge hug. And he gives a good hug, doesn't he? He does. He gives a very good hug. He's tall also. Yeah. He's much taller than I expected. I didn't know he was that tall. Uh, but no, it was, it, was a, it was a really sort of like surreal experience because, you know, he and I and all of us, you know, we, we talk online so often and we don't really, you know, we haven't met each other yet, or at least up until then we hadn't. And so it was, it was interesting, you know, finally getting, you know, this person in front of me that I talk shop with, you know, on a weekly basis. And I'm certain I feel the same thing when I see you and Wolfie at Worlds. Um, it was very, very It'll be beautiful. It was, it was awesome. Like so far, I've, I've been incredibly happy, um, uh, you know, actually meeting Brian in person. I'm sure I'll be happy when I meet you guys in person. But as far as Gen Con, it was amazing. Um, if you weren't there, you should have been there. If you wanted to be there, I'm sorry you couldn't make it. Um, and aside from the, the passionate hugs and cuddles um what else about the convention did you enjoy um, how was the tournament uh it was a lot of fun uh i ended up being i successfully made it to day two by a lot of lucky tiebreakers that's awesome nice uh, that's that's awesome that's good yeah that, yeah that's the best that's the best thing to do and then uh in day two i i split every i pretty much basically got three wins three losses on the last day so when it was all said and done my final ranking among gen con was uh 43rd which isn't too great, but also not bad either, considering it's one of the most competitive Netrunner tournaments in the U.S., right? Mm. Um, yeah. So You've got a lot of the best players from around the U.S., and it's a big tournament. 220-odd players? Yeah, two, I think it was uh, right at like 220. And so it was, mm. it was just kind of nice to kind of, you know, be sort of, uh, to me, you know, be kind of hovering around that upper point where, you know, you start to kind of make that, that, uh, that serious cut. Um, one of our Patreon supporters, Max, I think Max got 18th. So he was super close to making the top 16, which is amazing. Yeah, um, shout out to Max. Uh, he's been a supporter of us for quite a long time now, and he always seems to give us um, good advice and basically just lets us know what's going on in the world of Netrunner. Yeah, M- Max is uh, often on uh, Facebook messaging, on our uh, Patreon supporters page, just really engaging with us and with the Patreon supporters community. So thanks, Max, for your involvement, and um, congratulations on your great result. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, and, and I would like to say this, actually. Um, I, I thought about holding this to the end, but this is important to say now. But throughout the event, and I guess even afterward, Brian and I ran into so many people that were you know incredibly nice and thankful about 
um, us being content contributors. Like people straight up saying, hey, I don't, I don't listen to any other Netrunner podcast. I only listen to The Winning Agenda, and I, I enjoy listening to you guys, and I thank you so much for the content that you guys provide. And I want to make sure that you guys heard that because I know that you guys could not be there in person, so you could not hear the praise and um, like uh, how nice everyone was and, and thanking us for doing what we do. But um, I, met, uh, I met people from the Philippines um, who... Which, which, I mean, I didn't even know we had an audience in the Philippines, but they made it, they made it very clear. They took time to tell me that everyone they play with in the Philippines listens to the winning agenda. And, and oh, that's really cool. It is. And knowing, knowing that we reached that far is just amazing. So, yeah. Well, thanks to all of you out there who are listening, um, who were at Gen Con and, and those of you who weren't, who hopefully will meet some of you at Worlds. Looking forward to it. Yes, it will yeah. be an amazing experience. Yeah, so Wolfie and I will definitely be there, and uh, Hollis, of course, mm-hmm. it's in his veritable backyard in the, in the United <laughs> States, so he'll be there as well. Um, what we're doing today, uh, aside from recapping a little bit of Hollis's Gen Con experience, we'll go into a bit more depth on that once we've got our host, Brian Holland, back in the saddle. Uh, he's still traipsing around the US and unfortunately wasn't able to make it along today. Uh, so what we're going to do instead, uh, instead of going too deep on the Gen Con experience, is to look at the latest pack, which is Blood Money. Uh, so we're going to be doing the runner side of Blood Money today, uh, and then we'll have, as usual, the corpse side review next week. So the first card in Blood Money, the second pack in the Flashpoint cycle, is Credit Crash. It's an event, run, cost one, influence one. It's Anarch. Make a run. Trash the first non-agenda card you access during this run at no cost. So sort of mini Edward Kim. The corp can spend credits equal to the res or play cost of the access card to prevent this trash. So you're trashing anything, regardless of whether it's an operation, uh, asset upgrade, anything that's not an agenda. Uh, but the corp can spend credits equal to the res or play cost of the card to prevent the trash. What do we think? I feel like, you know, in, in Anarch, of course, we've got, you know, Edward Kim and we've got Wizard, which both respectively trash things, uh, trash trash specific cards um, that are within their wheelhouse. Wizard, of course, trashes upgrades and assets. Uh, Edward Kim can trash operations. It's interesting to have this card kind of sit where it can trash anything, um, regardless of what ID you choose in, uh, as far as NR goes, but then provides you with, provides the corp with the ability to mitigate that trash cost. I don't think, as a result, this is a card that I would see myself playing very often. Number one, because it's unpredictable. Number two, because I feel like I could literally just choose Wizard or Edward Kim and maybe, if it was important, play Rebirth and swap out at any moment in time. Uh, also, there's the argument of that you've got Val, which often plays Scrubbers, and you could just as easily play the Rebirth Val, have Scrubbers Rebirth in Edward Kim, and you kind of cover a lot of bases there as far as accessing mm. cards and trashing. And you do not give the corp the option to mitigate that trash, whereas this is not the same. Um, yeah, so in terms of a card that only does this, it seems like it's trying to be versatile in that it lets you hit operations and non-operation non-agenda cards. But you can already trash non-operation non-agenda cards other than ice, so you can trash your assets and upgrades already. Um, so really, this is about operations and ice. But a lot of the time with... Um, both of those types, the rest cost is not going to be particularly high. So I think this is best against ice. If there's ice in your opponent's deck that you really want to get rid of, 
then this is it. But it, again, you have to know that you're going to be accessing it. So you have to be using it probably with medium, um, at which point I'm not sure this is the sort of card that you're going to be wanting because you really, when you're doing big digs with medium, you want to be winning the game. Uh, against those um, sort of IG decks or other decks where you might think, well, I can use this to trash really expensive to trash assets and upgrades at no cost. So it's got some additional versatility there. It's probably not going to work anyway because they can just pay the res cost, which is going to be much, much lower on their whatever card you're accessing in R&D. So if you hit a Caprice and it's 10 to trash it against IG, they can just pay two to stop you from trashing it. It doesn't really do anything. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure whether this is going to be useful. Yeah, it, it's also worth noting that it doesn't have to be in a central server. So you can make a run on a remote and whatever you access in the remote server, you can trash it. So you may already know what the card is. Um, it may be a San San that you get to trash for free when they can't afford to pay the res cost again. I mean, I'm just trying to look at some edge cases there. But even then, I think the existing tools in Anarch are probably going to allow you to do that a bit better. And it's not like the metagame is such that playing things like Scrubber is too narrow. In fact, it's almost essential at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I think the closest comparison that's reasonable is with Demolition Run, which is already a fairly far off playable card. And so compared to that, this has the advantage of costing a credit less um, and letting, more importantly, letting you uh, run on remote servers with it. But as you said, being able to save credits on things which you could already trash is not probably the best use of this kind of card and the fact that your opponent can spend money to save cards if they want i think just makes it um quite situational in its use so the next card is rumor mill it's an event current cost one influence two it's an anarch card again this card is not trashed until another current is played or an agenda is scored the text box of each unique non-region asset and upgrade is blank Worth noting with this card that it only blanks the text box, so it doesn't blank the whole card, which means that if you've got a unique resed card, um, you will need to trash it in order to be able to res another card with the same name. So it doesn't get around sort of your unique restriction. It just blanks the, tech, the text box. What do we think, Hollis? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to give my initial knee-jerk reaction, which is, holy crap, holy crap. Mitigate Jackson, we blank Jackson, we blank Caprice Nisei, we blank Batty, we blank Ash, um, all the, 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 like, the Sandberg. Sandberg, all the amazing cards that we're seeing used right now in, like, the Glacier slash Asset Spam meta are really, you know, like, we, we, we just get to blank immediately. This is amazing. Um, it's interesting, though. And what, what, to me, what makes it interesting is that this is a current. And if you recall, and we've talked about this before when we, when we um, have discussed currents is we made a, a personal note that we, not person, we made a note that even though currents, you know, persist and they stay in play, they have to be super impactful to warrant the inclusion in that, you know, in that deck slot. And for the corpse side, it's not really as common as on the runner side. On the runner side, we see a lot of employee strikes. On the corpse side, uh, oh, sorry, and freedom to equality. On the corpse side, mostly what we see is like things like housekeeping you might occasionally see a housekeeping now you and again occa- yeah you might occasionally see housekeeping i'm used to cerebral um is it static static yeah yeah now if this card individually becomes the go-to uh really the go-to i guess anarch current 
I see no reason why corpse that are a glacier are not running some sort of current to counter it. Can I just say, isn't it funny that we started with the design principle that corp currents should be much more powerful because corps are the ones that have currents and runner currents should not be that good. And now that all of the good currents you just spoke about almost are running. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So there's barely any good corp current. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't we say not that long ago, maybe when employee strike was printed or maybe when hacktivist yeah. meeting was printed, we were like, oh, there are so many good corp currents. So runners, so this actual good runner current is, you know, a welcome change. What do you think, Wolfie, about rumor mill as a card? I think it's pretty impactful. Yeah, uh, I just want to point out, first of all, that uh, it has a very special place in my heart because it's good against the Scourge, the thing that I have nightmares about every day, which costs six to trash. (laughs) Which is? You don't know anything unique things that cost six to trash? Maybe if you weren't sure where you could trash them from. Is it a picture of you in a tank? (laughs) It is. There's definitely me in a tank. I'm talking about Chairman Hero, which, uh, if anyone doesn't know, we'll just leave it at that. But Yeah, there is a story there from Nationals Top 8 last year. Yeah, but anyway, so the point is that this actually has quite a large range of uses against a number of commonly played corp cards, and basically every deck, especially with Jackson, even... But even disregarding Jackson, I would say that most decks have some good targets for Rumor Mill, and the amount of impact it can have on the game for a single credit, I think, is really extraordinary. Like, we've kind of seen more recently uh, the runner design space opening up a bit more to include non-run ways to interact with assets on upgrades that aren't run-related or that that don't require you to get into the server, like political operative and now this, and so I think this is kind of the anarch-political operative. It's a bit stronger in that it can deal with multiple copies of a card and can most importantly deal with Jackson, but it's also a bit weaker in some respects. But since political operative is an extremely playable card, I expect this to also fulfill a similar role. Yeah, I feel like this card's really outstanding. The, The fact that it blanks each unique non-region asset and upgrade you know it's not targeted it's blanket and the fact that it's really difficult for the corp to interact almost impossible at the moment for the corp to interact with runner currents on the runner turn when this card is most relevant because you can play this on your first click and then you're making runs in which presumably the cards that the corp wants to raise are going to be relevant and they can't actually interact with this either through playing their own current or scoring an agenda until their next turn so you pretty much get a turn's use out of it guaranteed which is extraordinarily powerful. Plus there's the fact that if the court pre-reses things on their turn, so they've got a Jackson sitting there and they're just like with political operative, they haven't used the Jackson proactively and they're waiting to shuffle the agendas back in that they've discarded. As soon as you play this, they have no window to respond with their Jackson and then you can just run archives. So it really punishes sloppy court play and it, well, play that wouldn't have been sloppy in the past that would have been optimal um, it makes that more questionable, which adds more skill into the game um, and it makes it uh, a lot more of an interactive game because the corp has to always be thinking about what the runner could be doing next instead of being sort of certain that they are able to react with their Jacksons to a run as it was in the past before Political Operative. So this just adds another card that punishes that play and I think that's really interesting. The next card is NFR. It's a program icebreaker fractor. Install 3, Memory 1, Strength 1, Influence 3. 
when an, when an encounter in which used NFR to break all subroutines on that piece of ice ends, place one power counter on NFR. If NFR has plus, oh sorry, NFR has plus one strength for each power counter on it, one credit break barrier subroutine. It's an Anarch card again. Hollis, what do we think? Okay, Jesse, help me. I don't, because I don't understand how I'm supposed to feasibly be able to pump this like consistently i think the point is that you're meant to play it with things like data sucker and null so that you can kind of use null early to deal with mid strength barriers but then late game kind of get around the null downside of only being able to be used once per turn or the sucker downside of requiring limited resources ah and also barriers barriers tend to be relevant early in the game and this actually punishes the corp for raising barriers early because it says if you try and run me through your barriers over and over again and then you have a more expensive barrier in your deck that you're going to res later, uh, you're actually making me more efficient at dealing with that later card. So it either says, you know, you've got to play all small barriers, in which case the strength downside of this doesn't matter. Or if you're playing a spread of strengths, you can't really res your small ones early unless you want me to also be efficiently getting through your large ones later. I think that the only reason why I'm apprehensive like about using this card is primarily because in the explanation that you just gave and how, how Wolfie described it, there's not enough low strength barriers that are like basically popping up to make this like a considerable legitimate option. Like for example, I would need to first have data sucker counters. And then after getting the, the, uh, the data sucker counters, I would then need to lower the strength to the, the Eli's or the hives or, whatever the other common barriers I encounter in, in, the, in the present meta, right? And then I want to break with, uh, I'm going to call it Nefir. I don't know. It feels like it should have a nickname. It's not NFR. Nifer? I've been calling it Nefer. Nefer? Uh, surely Nifer. I don't know. I have no, yeah, I mean. Considering we have Nif. Yeah. It's got to be Nifer. Someone Nifer. said it was meant to reference some mythological thing. Oh. Well, could okay. be the case. But I mean, basically it's, Let's say, I, you know, in the current minute, I play against Eli. Like, you know, it, it Lady has kind of warped the perception. And I, I think you guys might agree with that. Um, I know it's on the most wanted list, but Lady kind of sort of warped the perception of how many barriers should be include, included in your corp deck. With, with Lady existing and effectively breaking for relatively low credits, people have played way, way less barriers by comparison So than they used to, you know, a year ago or two years. Yep. So if that's the case, now I'm dealing with a new breaker that we have that is supposed to, number one, require me to lower the strength of, of the bear that I encounter and then break it, which gives it a permanent boost of strength. But, mm. like, the barrier of entry for that strength is normally, like, at a four cost. Like, Eli is the most common barrier that we see. So I have to have three data circuit counters that don't get purged to be able to break this, and then, then this becomes a two strength, and it's still not enough. Well, let's just say you're... Uh, let's just say you're... Uh, only using this out of null. Like, let's say that this is supposed to be an icebreaker paired for null, in which case you need one data sucker counter the first time you run the ELI, and then from then on you don't need any. No. You just need null's no, that ability. Would be, that would be amazing. Like if, and then eventually you don't need yeah. any. Yeah. I mean, it, basically, I guess, if, if the meta were to shift in such a way where I was able to, I could comfortably feel like this would get high, at a high enough strength where it would not be problematic, I'd be fine with this. It just feels like the level of effort required to get it to the, the necessary strength when there's so few barriers played is sort of a hard sell. Now, that being said, 
We are also in a tag store meta where resistor is really, really common, and so is wraparound. And that would boost this card immensely. Like early game. Yeah, and let's say you're. Yeah, you've got wraparound, you've got resistor, you've got ice wall, you've got vanilla Mm -hmm. occasionally, you've also seen play. All of those are relevant low strength barriers. Wall of static also. The fact that you null this one, you null wall of static once with this, and then uh, it's at two strength, and then you null it again, and then you don't need to pump this anymore for the rest of the game to be able to break a wall of static strength ice. I think that's nice, and things that do grow throughout the game uh, are helpful for runners um, because it helps with the curve of the game, which is that in the um, early game, the runner can be dominant. In the mid game, the corp can be dominant. In the late game, the runner gets dominance again. It helps to speed up that late game. Um, It helps to speed up that equilibrium that the runner reaches where it's no longer... um, well, it actually helps to stop any corp that's trying to say, well, when we get to the late game, I'm also going to try and fight you with taxing servers because it says, no, my icebreaker is getting more and more efficient. Whereas with something like Corroda, if you're paying four every single time so you get through an Eli, mm. eventually you run out of economy cards in your deck and you actually are requiring four clicks to be able to gain credits to get through that Eli. Whereas with this, it becomes two credits very quickly and then you're at this point of efficiency. So I quite like that. Um, just quickly, um, I'll, I'll let you respond to that point, Hollis, in a moment, but uh, I'll throw to our flavor expert, Wilfred Horrig, who I think has <laughs> discovered the meaning of the name of this card. Oh, no, I just Wikipedia it and it says uh, it is meant to be pronounced Nefa or whatever, but, like, who cares? Uh, and and why, why is that? Oh, uh, it's apparently, yeah, as I said, it's apparently, uh, or as I read somewhere, it's apparently, like, an Egyptian hieroglyph or whatever, which is the art. But I think someone and, already pointed out. And so that's that the art on the card is the Egyptian hieroglyph. That's interesting, isn't it? It is. Uh, I do want to say something about this card, though, that... Oh, sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, I think, the problem with it, or maybe the problem. I think it's the power level is actually quite high. It's efficiently costed. But the problem is that in the way I see, I think the format is currently, there are three three types of ice, like decks kind of fall into three types of categories with regard to ice one they either like want to spend as few of the slots on ice as possible and just have one cent- one good sentry one good code gate one good barrier or as near to that as they can find which i think some of the more combo or uh asset heavy decks do want to do nowadays where you just want to put one ice in our hq one ice in r&d where this is not really great because the strength bonus is not so relevant uh, the other situation is where your they have uh, they're maybe trying to not necessarily to combo, but still be a bit still keep the game in the early stages where you want to spend f- as few credits and ice as possible, which is kind of what the Argus or other more faster fast not necessarily fast advanced, but just faster playing decks want to do where they play usually cheap some mid-strength uh, barriers sentries and code gates are mostly cheap things in which case this is okay but only if the first barrier you encounter is a cheap one in the game and then only afterwards is it the mid-strength one which is of course not always the case and the third case is decks where they're more glaciery they have more ice in general and even I think those kind of decks usually don't play cheap and the run barriers. You might see some wall of statics, some Himitsubakos, but more commonly you see hives um, and other mid-strength 
barriers rather than cheap ones and so it kind of seems to me like the issue is that if you're relying on your opponent to play their low cost barriers before their high cost barriers you're really losing out on a lot of the potential efficiency from this card and in the worst case scenario it can't break anything at all or it can do so only extremely inefficiently which i think is a bit of a problem the next card is another interesting fractor it's called paperclip it's a program icebreaker fractor install four memory one strength one influence three Whenever you encounter a barrier, you may install Paperclip from your heap, paying its install cost, install cost 4. Uh, X credits plus X strength break up to X barrier subroutines if able. That's all the same ability. You're paying X credits to pump for X strength and break up to X barrier subroutines if able. So for 4 install, 1 memory, 1 strength. What do you think? I like it. I, yeah, I think this card is really strong. Um, not only is the cost i read i saw a table on the internet which said that the cost to break most common barriers or in fact all common barriers are the same it's the same or lower than corroda yep so i think mm-hmm. for about half the barriers it's the same about half it's lower but on average it costs a, an equivalent amount to corroda to break barriers small barriers although it is worth it is worth pointing out that, that assumes the barriers are at full strength, so it's actually worse in combination with Data Sucker or Null. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. So, but, you know, solely from an efficiency perspective, this is about as efficient as Corroda for small barriers, a bit more efficient for larger barriers, but costs a bit more. But I think the main draw to this card is the first ability, which is I couldn't even believe that they would print a card this efficient with that kind of ability because it just seems so strong when you think that Clone Chip is already one of the strongest um, runner cards, if not maybe, Mm. uh, and for a period of time it was definitely the strongest, and to give that ability to an Icebreaker, which are the type of cards where you are... you most want them at certain points in the game. At certain points in the game, you need your icebreakers to continue progressing your game plan, but every other time, you never want to see them. And so the ability to keep them in your heap, if it's easy to get them there, which is not always the case, but is sometimes the case, um, is, I think, extremely powerful and really not as... And, like... It's not obvious from looking at the text, I think, because you think, you know, you need to get into your heap. It probably, maybe it has already been trashed, but just the ability to keep your cards in your heap like you did with Clone Chip in the past is, I think, extremely good. Possibly could make things like Cronus Project, Blacklist, other ways of preventing heap recursion even more powerful? Yes, very possibly, if this sort of strategy becomes good. I think this is a, yeah, a reasonable payoff for, for that strategy. Um, but uh, discounting that, just evaluating the card itself rather than the answers, I think you're absolutely right, Wilfie. The fact that this gives you essentially that clone chip or self-modifying code ability, which we haven't really seen in Anarch at all before, um, to at instant speed recur your icebreaker from your heap um, at the exact time that you need it when you encounter the barrier, you get your fractor. That's just incredibly powerful. Um, and it's exactly why you would ever consider playing a card like Clone Chip. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's it's really, really good. It's efficient. Four to install is a little bit, but Anarchs have got excellent economy cards now, certainly excellent burst economy cards that allow them to afford 
to play a rig up front and the the cost to use is just as efficient as Corroda, so I, I can't really see a lot of downside there. Hollis, what do you think? I, I think that also, um, in addition to everything you guys have said, it's it's really well placed based on the fact that, you know, the recent changes to the most wanted list have basically made it so that Anarch cannot really use clone chip. I think that in a lot of cases where they could run the 1x clone chip in, in most decks, they've opted to run the 1x like Levy just because it gets your whole deck back as opposed to a single uh, a single program from a discard pile. And so having a card, if you were to do the math on this, right, like if you have a clone chip that costs you a click and a credit to install, and then once the program is in your discard pile, then you're going to pay um, just only for the installation cost of that program. And this is so cool because basically if you were to look at it comparatively to Corroder, right, if you were to try to match this to Corroder, as opposed to playing a click and a credit, you're just paying an extra two credits. That's that's the difference. And I can, I'm willing to bet if you were to do the math, the two credits is probably most of the time better than a click and a credit. Most of the time. And a deck slot, right? Um, and so it, it's also the added benefit that, you know, we already have one of the fastest runners in the game, which is Max. And so Max gets to have a card like this that basically can get played from the discard pile as it's just doing the thing that it normally does. Trash cards, put something in your hand. Oh, look at that. That card in my discard pile can be installed as I encounter a barrier as I need it. Um, super, super great. I mean, in, in my opinion, this is one of the better cards in the pack. I love this card. Cool. Uh, next card is Golden. It's a program Icebreaker Killer. Install 5, Memory 1, Strength 1, Influence 2. Two credits, break up to two Sentry subroutines. Two credits, plus four strength. And two credits, return Golden to your grip. Dereza Sentry. Use this ability only after using Golden to break all the subroutines on that Sentry during a single encounter. So sort of an Ankusa style ability there, although just derezzing rather than returning to grip. What do we think of that? Another sort of credit denial icebreaker. Hollis? It's expensive. Like that's that's quite literally like my main I guess uh, dislike is that it's very very expensive. It's all but the the ability on it is very impactful. It so in general if we look at if we look at uh, golden it's two credits to break two century subroutines. Okay, sure, whatever. Um, it's two for two, but a lot of this a lot of the centuries we're seeing have three subs, so we're we're losing credit there. Um, it's two credits to to add for strength. It's a base strength of of, uh, of one. Uh, five is pretty reasonable, in my opinion. Um, so you're getting to the same spot as Dagger gets for one stealth. So right. that's not bad. Right. Now, the added ability, though, is what's super expensive and makes me question this. So the, the, the last ability is two credits and return golden to your grip. D-Res a sentry. Use this ability only after uh, golden... Uh, after using Golden to break all serpentines on that century in a single encounter. The reason why this is problematic is that, like, it's, it's an amazing ability when you set the corp back, right? So if I res an Itchy and you break your Itchy, um, if, if I break Itchy with Golden and I, return, and I basically de-res it, amazing. But having to put Golden back in my hand is super expensive because this card costs five. So, but what if you could, what if you could then immediately play it again say with a one credit discount would that be but that would good? still be a lot right because if we were to do the math again we'll just use itchy z example so let's say you have itchy 
let's say it's itchy architect just as an example i would basically okay i've already paid for the golden so we're just ignored i've already paid for the golden so i'm going to pay two credits to make it for strength two credits to up the sentry to break two sentry subroutines i'm probably going to take the trace probably right no, but you'd have to break them all. Oh, wow. wow! To use the oh golden. Oh my god! I'd have to pay yep. four to break all subs, then pay two more yep. to derez Itchy. I proceed past. Mm-hmm. So it's eight in yep, total eight now. Credits yep. now it goes back to hand. Now architect is here. I have yep. to pay four credits to put it back into play, and then two credits, and then two. Uh, it's so exp- yeah, it's so expensive. Like yeah, I don't know. The thing is, all Hollis's um, evaluation of the efficiency, I think, is right in that it's. I think, even though sentry breakers are the least efficient of all the three types, you're really paying a lot for the third ability. And while I like this trend of giving icebreakers kind of incidental abilities that don't necessarily relate to breaking or bypassing ice, I think that's really a really cool thing to do. Um, I'm not certain. You really need to have your credits be so much less valuable than the corpse credits for this card to be good. And I think, actually, that could be possible, especially if we come to the next card in some uh, in combination with some sort of Gabe security testing kind of resource denial deck that we have seen be good in the past. Um, but the fact that this card is really not good as your primary sentry breaker makes me a bit more skeptical of it just because if you if you're not in a situation where you can easily have lots of credits flowing and you can't use the last ability just using it to get into a server is really cost prohibitive okay um and on that note we'll come to the next card which is temujin contract it's a resource job uh, i'm not sure that we've seen the job subroutine be relevant yet but but judging by the fact that they keep printing it it may be one day uh, install four, influence two. Choose a server and place 20 credits from the bank on Temujin contract when you install it. When there are no credits left on Temujin contract, trash it. Whenever you make a successful run on the chosen server, take four credits from Temujin contract. That's not a replacement effect. Uh, you get the credits just for the successful run, just like Desperado, and you can still access. What do we think of this, Wilfie? Um, I think this card is really good, and I think that it's probably the best criminal card we've seen printed since uh, I guess maybe we'll fill it in in post-production when I actually look up when the last time it was that they printed a good criminal <laughs> card because I certainly can't maybe remember it work? in my head like yeah yeah honor and profit like yeah work. something maybe like that like and testing yeah but I mean just the thing is that criminal at the moment I feel is kind of uh still sort of monodimensional in terms of where all the good cards are and it's been that way since the core set and so printing a very powerful card for that strategy is you know not necessarily what you want in terms of um flexibility of what the faction can do but puts it a long way towards being playable i think and this card is really good for a couple of reasons one is i think career fair is one of the stronger criminal cards that doesn't really get to be played in criminal because there aren't very many good resources that are actually good to play off it um and of course it combines with security testing desperado etc all of the things that you want to combine it with while not being um too inefficient like it's it rather than conflicting with all the things other things you want to do by gaining money slowly it kind of 
enhances them by still working with Siphon or still working with security testing or all your other things. So you don't kind of get a critical mass. You don't kind of get the problem where you might have currently where your opponent is so um, f- can be so focused on st- shutting down your security testing or your um, successful run triggers that you kind of sputter out and eventually die in the mid game. This gives you enough of a bonus when you actually um, get into that server that it enhances actually giving you accesses and actually giving you resources rather than needing to replace it. And if we compare it to existing economy options, Dirty Laundry is an extremely comparable card. This essentially, if you have Desperado in play, turns every run on your chosen server into a Dirty Laundry run. And it means you get the credits when you make the successful run, so you have them available during your access, whereas Dirty Laundry gives them to you at the end of the run. Uh, It seems incredible to, to be able to have that effect over and over again five times uh, for the low upfront cost of four credits in a way that synergizes with all your existing successful run cards in Criminal. What do you think, um, Hollis? I, I agree with you entirely. Like uh, both of you, this card is one of the best Criminal cards we've seen in a long time. Um, it almost feels like with rare exceptions where the deck just does not suit it for whatever reason. Um, this card is almost an auto-include um, in Criminal decks. I mean... It's it's basically giving you similar. It's giving you better credits, I think, than security testing, without the conditional that um, you don't get to access the card. So you get to you get to dirty laundry. You get to maker's eye. You get to uh, RDI, run R and D, run HQ, whatever you need to siphon, and just say, all right, well, I've done this, and now I've gained the additional credits back from it. And remember, uh, you know, this is of course in faction with career fair. So the value just keeps on going, just keeps getting better. So now an early Andy can career fair to Mujin. They can career fair Daily Cast. They can career fair Earthrise Hotel. Um, there's just a ton of targets now for career fair, and Temujin is just an amazing card to be added to the list. Excellent. Then the next card is an identity, which we hinted at a little bit earlier. It's Khan, Savvy Skip Tracer. Identity Natural, Link Zero, Deck 40. Influence 12. The first time you pass a piece of ice each turn, you may install an icebreaker from your hand, lowering the install cost by 1. So with 12 influence, even though it's got a 40 deck size, uh, and an ability which I'm a little bit unsure about, uh, how do you feel this one's going to go, Wilfie? Yeah, I'm really down on this card um, for a number of reasons. The first reason is, I guess primarily the ability to me doesn't seem like it's the sort of thing you want in your deck. Firstly, Criminal, I think, has the worst um, card manipulation of any of the three factions by far. So the chance of you having a piece of ice in your hand... uh, Sorry, the chance of you having an icebreaker in your hand that you want to install right after you pass a piece of ice... Which is before you know what the next piece of ice is, unless it's already ready. Yes, exactly. So you need... If you're using conventional breakers, which I think is the most... Uh, usual situation for this card you need to have an ice breaker in play that matches your opponent's ice then be able to install another ice breaker which is going to be useful for their next ice which you don't know what it is and then you can save a click that's like probably the optimal situation where you get to do more things in a turn than you want to and you can get into servers where you can't but and you save a click and a credit at that point yes but I mean a click in a 
quite a relevant scenario, I think. Mid sure. Being sure. able to get uh, a, a click mid-run is really strong. Yes. Um, the downside is with your regular breaker scenario that you've just outlined there, aside from the inherent downsides in the scenario, is also that that is not going to come up very often because you will usually only have three, maybe four icebreakers in play by the end game, in which case this is going to trigger probably twice or three times because you already have to have one icebreaker in play in order to pass ice most of the time unless you're clicking through it um, or beating a trace or, or what have you. But if it's an end of the run ice, uh, you're going to have to already have an icebreaker in play. So that leaves you with uh, a, probably a maximum of four triggers, more likely two. Yeah, I would say, assuming nothing, you're not using anything like golden, golden sort of triggers can be counted separately. But yeah, so I'm just talking regular icebreakers. Yeah, I would say maybe yep. one trigger, like, because, yeah, one or two, maybe two triggers throughout a game that actually give you a significant amount of value in that they let you get into a server that you couldn't get into normally just by playing your icebreakers regularly would be the most likely situation. And that, to me, really doesn't seem like a good use of an idea ability when I think criminals do have some very strong ideas um that help with resource generation which i think is a bit less now because of the card we talked about previously but one of criminals weak points and just the 12 influence is so bad uh, um not it does not that it makes the card unplayable but it just really squeezes all the things you want to do into a much tighter shell the first shaper card in the pack is data breach it's an event run cost zero influence one make a run on r and d Good for shapers. If successful, you may make another run in R&D when this run ends. The card is one influence. And so I can't help but think that, you know, maybe that's the intent is that we're going to see it with, uh, with like a medium. And so you already have the ability to trash. And then you go run, I trash this card, trash that card, score that card. And we do it right, you know, we do it immediately afterwards saving a click. But even that seems so niche. Isn't that just all-nighter? Yeah, I mean... So at that point, you you have to have medium in hand and this in hand. You have to like play your medium and then play this and then you get an extra run on that turn. And at that point, this is exactly the same as all-nighter because you're paying zero, you're getting the effect straight away, except that it's a run event, if that's ever relevant. What do you think, Wilfie? Are we missing something? Uh, no, not really. It seems like R&D is a really strange place to have this ability because normally, if you run R&D and you don't do anything with the cards and you run again, they're going to be the same cards. So I understand that there are some things you can do with this, but it doesn't seem like those situations would come up often enough to want to play this card when, you know, you can just run twice and that sort of gives you the same thing. It's just a, a really strange payoff for being able to successfully run R&D is to give you the ability to run R&D again. It seems bizarre to me. Algo Trading is the second Shaper card. It's a resource, another job. Install zero, influence one. When your turn begins, you may move up to three credits from your credit pool to Algo Trading. So the credits you've already got. When your turn begins, place two credits on Algo Trading from the bank if there are at least six credits on it. Click and trash take all credits from Algo Trading. So once you invest six of your hard-earned credits in this, it begins to earn you to a turn. What do we think, Hollis? I'm so scared to like talk about this card because 
Okay, so six credit investment. Uh, sorry, investment is that's pretty. That's pretty damn heavy. Um, I don't think there's a Netrunner card that's like a resource that requires us to invest six credits into. Like the closest thing that we invest six into that gives us um, a considerable um, amount of like return is like Wildside Adjusted Chronotype, Magnum Opus, Rachel Beckman, Liberated Account. Yeah, like like those are the cards that we're, we're those are the cards interactions that we're comparing it to. Um, well, liberated account is is pretty commonly played as a economy card for six. It is, it is. Um, but the problem, I, I guess, basically, it's not even just the I have this amount of money and then I play it and gain it back. It's I can only place X amount of it at a, you know over X amount of turns and then I'm gaining two per turn. Um, it is very slow. However, however. Two credits on a per turn basis is awesome. On a single card. Um, it's also worth mentioning this card. Granted, I don't know if you'd ever play multiples. This card's not unique. So um, if you were able to invest a fair amount of money into these every turn, it's, each one's going to gain two credits. Um, the reason why this scares me is that we're in a very heavy tag meta. Yeah, it's a juicy all-seeing eye target, isn't it? Right, super juicy, super, super juicy. Um, I think I would much rather play, when I'm looking at like uh, making a slot for a resource, I think I would rather play the resource we're going to talk about after this card compared to this. However, for me, it's still a matter of, this card sits on the fence until I personally play test it myself and determine it. Because I, I honestly can't tell exactly how good or bad it is. I want to say initially, I don't play it, but I don't know. Someone's probably going to play this. I feel like someone's going to play this card. It's a great effect, and I'm not going to be able to deal with it, and they're just going to gain so much money so fast. I'm going to be super unhappy during that game. Uh, Wilfie, what do you think? Yeah, I think the closest comparison to this is Technical Rider because they both sort of build up money slowly over quite a slow period of time and eventually give you some large payout for kind of um messing around with it for a a number of turns but the issue with this is that you're not it's not that you pay zero and then at some point later it starts it gives you a huge burst of money like technical rider does but that you pay zero you're down three credits you're down six credits and you're down all of those credits until you finally pop it which in the ideal situation isn't going to be for many turns so you can get maximum value off it so five turns after you play this you break even yeah, just like the numbers aren't there. And even if I think the numbers were a little bit better, the fact that you have to invest so much into it early as opposed to Technical Rider where you kind of have to do the thing that you want to do anyway and then when you want to transition from building your board to running, Technical Rider lets you do that really effectively. This sort of constrains your resources until then. And I think that's really not powerful. All right, the next card is the one Hollis mentioned a moment ago, which is Beth Kilrain Chang. Beth is a resource, connection, install two, influence three. If the corp has five to nine credits when your turn begins, gain one credit. If the corp has 10 to 14 credits when your turn begins, draw one card. If the corp has at least 15 credits when your turn begins, gain a click. Hollis. I love it. Love it. Um... The reason why I love this card is primarily because 
it's so rare that the corp is below five. That, like, if, that, that's the first thing. I mean, if you're playing a credit denial deck, sure, yeah, they'll be low. That's not exactly most Shaper decks, though, is it? No, yeah, exactly, right? Like, like it's so rare you see a Shaper deck that's heavy, heavy credit denial or anything like that. And what this card does so well is it... it we're used to resources or hardware or programs where it gives us a great effect, but then it has, like, a, a negative effect uh, that kind of counterbalances it. And I feel like this card... Um, ninety percent of the time is just positive effect for you as the runner. Is mm. as a world-renowned value hound, Wilfie, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I think this card is pretty strong. Um, the it's as uh, you guys said, it's fairly rare that the corp will have fewer than five credits, especially if you're playing a bit of a slower deck that's trying to lock down the remotes or not trying or trying to prevent the corp from scoring early while building up um, resources for the to score seven points in the late game. And this card slots perfectly into that kind of strategy because in the early game you get some resources. Um, cards and credits which are good when you're setting up. But in the late game when you finally pressure the corp to start acting, you get clicks on the important turns, which I think is really strong. And of course the corp will be trying to play around that as well by maybe going a little faster. But five is really such a small threshold that in most situations it's going to provide some advantage and the upside is just so high all right well that brings us to the end of our runner side review of blood money we'll be back next week with all the corp cards and all of our thoughts and perhaps we're not 100 percent sure yet but perhaps host brian holland will be back in the chair until next week i've been jesse marshall uh, along with hollis echo and wilfie horrig We've been The Winning Agenda. You can get in touch with us by email at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can tweet us at Winning Agenda. Uh, And if you enjoy what we do and you want to throw a few dollars our way, you can check us out at patreon.com slash thewinningagenda. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, I think that uh, if we're going to look at the lore of the game, um, I think that um, the avatar that's being used here is clearly appropriate for uh, Princess Space Kitten. And uh, I think Wolfie would agree that um, they really hit the nail directly on the head. Yeah, when Wolfie said just before that this has a special place in his heart, I was amazed because I thought he was about to start talking about the flavor of it. Um, Wolfie, do you have any thoughts on the flavor of this card? I think that it really ties together with the theme of Netrunner, which if someone could tell me what that is, uh, <laughs> that, that would be much appreciated. If you have any ideas, just you can send it to our email and I'll be sure to read anything you have to say about Netrunner flavor. <laughs>